This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure, long gone. Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You're listening to the Fly the W 670 podcast. This one is season one. It's episode 52, and we're calling this. The Cubs winner of discontent. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show on 670 The Score. The guys are live 5.30 I'm live from 5 to 5.30 as a little warm-up act. And, of course, we are the radio home of all things Cubs baseball. As always, I'm joined by my buddy Crowley. Crowley, I hope you had a fantastic uh, Thanksgiving. You're going to have to tell me and the uh, listeners about your uh, trip to Wrigley, of course, during Thanksgiving break. You can't even leave it alone during the holidays. How are you on this Monday? I'm not as good as Jose Abreu's agent, I'll tell you that. But don't forget to listen, download, review, share, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to follow all our socials, Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram, Fly the W on Facebook, or email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. All right, so the uh, Season 1, Episode 52, Crawley, we called this one the Cubs' Winter of Discontent. We're asking that as a question because, uh, thankfully, the winter has just begun. We're a couple days away from December, but free agency has been open, and the Cubs have basically done nothing. And we don't want to bury the lead, but one of the guys that we've been talking about on this podcast that Bruce Levine told us a while ago was on the Cubs' radar was Jose Abreu, and he is not going to take the red line from 35th and Shields up to Clark and Addison. Instead, he's going to get on probably a private jet, and he's going to head down to Houston where he's going to make uh, $60 million, Crowley, over the next three years and play first base and DH for the uh, world champion Astros. Yep, three years, $60 million, $20 million a year, and, uh, you know, Houston saw what they wanted, and they went for it, and that's what good teams do. And... I'm not going to lie to you. I'm frustrated about this situation because we talk, you know, as you said, we talked about this. And when you talk about Jose Abreu, you're talking about a guy that checks a lot of boxes. First off, he's a former MVP, right? He's a guy that has good leadership qualities. He's a guy that can work, especially with the Latino players. And he's that perfect bridge between what we hope is a long career for Matt Mervis, but it, it doesn't put all the pressure on Matt right away. And so, you know, you, you have a guy that last year hit 304. He was an MVP a couple seasons ago. And instead, now you're looking at lesser targets instead. And that's just frustrating, you know? I get the frustration. But if they get a a Carlos Correa and then they pair Matt Mervis with a Josh Bell, um, how would you feel about that? Uh, you know what? Here's the thing. It's, it's not really about – it's more about being aggressive – going after your targets and, and not sitting on your hands. You want to sit there and not want to set the market. 
that's fine. But what you end up doing in this situation now is instead of going for your 1A, now you're going to 1B and you don't want to go down to 1C, right? And so you don't want to sit there in a situation again where you have nobody at first base. You had no power. You had no average. First base was a black hole last year. Now Schwindel was injured, right? And, you know, and, and that is what it is. But, but you have to have somebody in there that can play for power, that can play some defense. If you're asking me, Jose Abreu or Josh Bell, who do I want my team for the next three years? It's Jose Abreu every day of the week. So go out there. You know you need that first baseman. It could, was an integral part of the plan, and then you didn't do it. You let Houston come in and swoop you, you know, and, and get the player that you really wanted. And, and that again, that's why we say the winter of discontent. If we get Carlos Correa, then yes, we're, we're all going to be a lot happier. But this isn't, a, this isn't a good sign right here, Dustin. That's all I'm saying. It is, a, it is a bad barometer. I wanted it to start. We're, yeah. we're going to talk about the... I agree with you. I agree with you. That's not the way you wanted this thing to start whatsoever. And we're talking about winter, right? Winter, and so winter means winter meetings. Those start up um, this Sunday out in San Diego, and the Cubs have had some really good winter meetings and some not-so-great winter meetings. But, Crowley, I'm hoping that a week from right now, a week from right now, when we're probably recording episode number 53 or 54 or 55, depending on what's happening between now and then, that we're going to have some really big news to talk about. Well, that's the hope because I'm telling you right now that this winter meeting is a big deal for Jed and Carter, right? To say that is an understatement. Right now, we talked about the low attendance, the low marquee ratings. You traded the World Series core. You can't even sell out Cubstown right now, and it hasn't been around for two years. So what does that tell you about the excitement level of the fans right now? You have to do something to electrify the fan base, okay? Uh, in the winter meetings of 2006, Jim Hendry closes a deal from a hospital bed while undergoing an EKG <laughs> to get Ted Lilly. Okay, legendary, right? And Ted Lilly was a big part of a lot of those teams that did well in 2007, 2008, 2009. Uh, Theo and Jed bring John Lester to the north side during the winter meetings of 2014 that kicks off the, one of the most successful runs in modern Cubs history, including a World Series. And at the world's, at winter uh, meetings in 2015, the Cubs signed future World Series MVP Ben Zobrist. Yeah. But I, I'm telling you, Dustin, you got to make a splash they have plenty of salary room to work with, and that's why the Obreu thing is frustrating to me. If you're telling me we're going to come out of this offseason with uh, Drew Smiley and Dansby Swanson, is that going to work for you, Dustin? Is that no, that will no, that that will not sell tickets. No, that will not help the marquee sports ratings, and that will not get one person who's sitting on the fence right now about whether to drop three bills and go to CubsCon to show up. No, mm -mm. no. Nope. And so what you're doing right here is you want to get one of the big free agents. Okay. The Cubs payrolls projected to be at $120 million. You're nowhere near the, the luxury tax threshold. Okay. And then keep in mind that Jason Hayward's 22 million comes off the books after next season, after the 2023 season. So you have money. And what I keep saying and where I'm frustrated from is that you, the Cubs are targeting supposedly many of top free agents, but guess what, Dustin? So are a lot of other teams. So are 15, 16, 17 other teams. And what bothered me is that, you know, there was a lot of quietness, right? Nobody really kind of knew because there hasn't been winter meetings traditionally like they normally have the last couple of years. Um, the CBA has kind of changed since then. And so you're sitting here and you had a whole week, right? To do something 
You had a whole week to do something. And there was a couple of minor moves made. The White Sox signed Clevenger, no big deal, nothing on that. You know, the, I know Houston signed, or I'm sorry, Pittsburgh signed somebody. It, it, nothing big, right? Nothing that got you going. So for me, why not come out and be aggressive and be the first one to make a move? And so, you know, John Heyman, Odyssey Baseball Insider, he's a frequent guest on uh, 670 The Score, you know, has eight teams going for Carlos Correa. Keep that in mind here. And the Twins have made multiple offers between six and ten years. So that was what got me, Crowley. John was in studio with Mully and Haw a week ago Tuesday, Tuesday before uh, Thanksgiving. And he said that his money would be on Correa going back to the Twins because the Twins owner is one of the top three or four richest owners in all of baseball. And he's willing to spend. So yep. that, that that's the thing here is, again, you're, you're not going to get – if. If you're going, you get what you pay for. And so if you want the best, you're going to have to pay for it. Guess who else is in on, uh, on Correa? The Giants, the Dodgers, the Phillies. If the Braves can't re-sign Swanson, they may jump into it, right? So these are all teams. These are all sharks circling around the same target right here. Kodai Senga, who I've brought on this show numerous times, right? He's younger than every other starting pitcher available on the free agent market other than Zach Eflin. And so he has plenty of suitors. He met with the Rangers before Thanksgiving. He's also met with the Mets, the Giants, and the Padres. The uh, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, all interested. And so what are you going to do, Jed? Are you going to sit on your hands or are you going to make a move? Trey Turner, he may want to reunite with Bryce Harper and Philly. He may go to Seattle. Giants might want him. You got the Orioles and Red Sox in the mix, right? There's a lot of reports saying that Turner wants to play out in the East Coast. Um, we'll see what happens. And then as I was writing in the script, Jose Abreu, you know, Astros were interested, the Padres, the Red Sox. My point about all this, Dustin, here is that these are teams right now that are going to be aggressive and make moves. And when you talk about these names, here you go, the Yankees, the Mets with Steve Cohen, right? Uh, The Red Sox, the Dodgers. All of these teams are all going to sit there. And and if you want to sit there and wait for the best deal, I think I'll just wait around and see how the market bears out. The second one domino falls, now you're in all sorts of trouble, okay? So let's say Correa gets picked off. Then there's going to be a race for Turner. And if you didn't fall in for that Turner, then everyone's going to be going for Bogarts. And it's not like you're going to get much better deals. Like you're going to sit there and walk away paying 20, 30, 40, $50 million less for the second guy that you want. Would you agree with me, though, like on Correa as an example, that let's say Correa gets $300 million over the course of uh, eight years from the Twins. Let's Let's just throw that out there. We're working off of that number. I think the Cubs can get Bogarts for $100 million less. $100 million less than you get Correa for. Hundred million less, uh, you know. If that's the case, you obviously you're going to take a look at that. And it's not like Bogarts is like a horrible player. My concern, no. my concern no. is is think of this like a game of musical chairs, right? You're sitting here, the music's playing, everybody's walking around, waiting for some, waiting for that moment. That moment happens, and everybody dives for a chair, right? So somebody's going to sign one of these four: Correa, Turner, Bogart, and Swanson. Somebody's going to sign them. When that music, when that, when, when that first person gets that first chair, then everybody's diving. You don't want to be the person sitting there without a chair. All right. You're out then at that point. So imagine Dustin, let's say they don't get any of the four. How does the off season look to you then? Um, really, really bad. Unless it's, unless now all of a sudden you're talking about, 
um, Sanga. They, they get Sanga and um, who? You know, like Sanga right, exactly. and <laughs> Swanson. You know, um, you bring in a, a Justin Turner maybe to play third base. You know, you think that's enough to win the division? Not going to win the World Series, but enough to win the division and get you back to October baseball. Something like that. You know, I, I just I think we deserve better than just that. You know what I mean? We know the NL Central has been crap lately as far as the division's concerned. And again, you know, if, if you're not willing to go for Jose Abreu and you're not willing to go for Correa or Turner, what makes you think they're going to go for Sanga? And what makes you think that another team isn't going to outbid you and get you into your uncomfortable zone? Yeah. Again, gonna, Steve yeah. Cohen has no problem with that. The, the, the Mets are losing literally three-fifths of their rotation to free agency. So I just don't see I just don't see Jed and I this is not going to go over well and I'm not thrilled about it. I'm just I would be willing to bet that Jed is not going to be the first buyer in this shortstop market. Somebody's going to go before. That doesn't mean it's going to be Correa, but somebody's go, one of those big four are going to go somewhere before the Cubs. That's my prediction. That you um, know what? And I just don't think he I just don't think they want to set the market. And that's fine, but then you may end up on the outside looking in. And, well, your and, musical chairs, your musical chairs reference was a good one, right? Absolutely and so one. you're out, and then you, you know, it's I don't think Kodai Sanga is going to be. And I, if you're telling me Justin Turner, no, I don't think that I don't think that wins you a division. I don't think that puts you over the Cardinals. No, I don't. I, I'm concerned about the offense. I'm concerned about center field. Cody Bellinger is another name that has a bunch of teams all interested in, and you're not going to be comfortable doing that. And so it's, it's, you're looking at a situation now where you, you have holes at first base, shortstop. I don't know how confident you are at third base. Catcher, well, I was going to say third base, third, third base is, is that too, right? I mean, okay. Pa- Patrick wisdom, probably the cheap alternative first base DH can play third in a pinch guy. I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm just not, I, I, you need depth. You saw what yeah, happened. They've got last zero season. depth. They've got zero depth. You yeah. got no depth. And so I, I'm looking at this as, as there were moves to made to kind of fortify your situation. I hate to say, what if, what if Matt Mervis come, the guy we're, we're pinning all our hopes on Matt Mervis who had one really great phenomenal season of minor league ball. And, and don't, don't discount my, Matt Mervis. What he did was incredible. I'm just saying you better have a, another backup plan in case that doesn't work out. And, 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 you know, one of the, one of the best options is off the table now because you didn't want to spend, this is a big boy team, Dustin. This is, we're not, you know, I hate to even say the Padres because look what the Padres are doing. Okay. We're not the pirates. We're not the Marlins. You, you, you can sit there and nickel and dime this stuff. Right. These we are, are supposed, we are money. supposed to be the Chicago Cubs. You are right. You You're are a major correct. market team. Act like it. Right. This was the guy you wanted and you let him go to the world champion Houston Astros. That's a failure on your part. You're listening to season one, episode 52 of the fly, the W six seventy podcast. I'm Dustin Rhodes and always joined by my buddy Crawley. And in this segment, we are talking to the youngest PA announcer in Major League Baseball history, Jeremiah Peprocki, who was the voice of Wrigley Field at 21. Joining me now on the Fly of the W podcast, the voice of Wrigley Field, PA announcer, Jeremiah Peprocki. How are you doing today, Jeremiah? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, glad to have you. You know, I've been uh, following your career since it started with the Cubs. Um, along with being, you know, the PA announcer for the Cubs, you also are the voice of the Chicago Red Stars and the UIC Flames, where you went to college. Uh, how'd you get into PA announcing, and when did you feel like it was something you could make a career out of? Yeah, funny story. Um, that's actually not the first thing I wanted to get into in life. My uh, first career aspiration was to be an airline pilot. Um, me and my mom travel a lot to this day, but as a kid, I would always fly a lot. I'd be around airports. So I was like, oh, airplanes, this, this. So I was like, huh. When I got around the age where like, I knew that, oh, I have to get a job when I'm older. Uh, I was like, I'm always surrounded by planes. I'm always at an airport. I might be an airline pilot. That'll be fun. And so for a little time growing up in like my preteen days, I uh, would like find myself like studying aviation and I always had my own little flight simulator or try to obtain one uh, as much uh, as I could. And uh, broadcasting kind of just came off of like one, my voice and two, like my little uh, kid immaturity being at like a lot of sporting events where uh, even at Wrigley, I'd have my scorecard and I'd fill it out. And uh, I'd pretend that I was the PA announcer and I'd try to get it out before uh, the actual announcement came across or be at the United Center, like Derrick Rose made a shot, Derrick Rose or something like that. And so little by little, I guess at the same time, puberty was on my side and I, <laughs> I, shaped, the, I shaped my voice into an announcer, a voice by accident and... Uh, it's, uh, but it's also something that I found interesting, uh, especially with the Bulls intro and their iconic Cirrus uh, song by Alan Parsons. And, uh, you know, Tommy Edwards, who was the P announcer at the time for the Bulls, would belt out that and now. And I would uh, find myself doing the and now myself. And uh, that's when I started to like become aware of it. And then I found out it, it was Tommy who was doing it. And I was like, oh, it's a real person that does it. And, it's a real job for somebody. And uh, so I looked into it more and then high school came around where I still was interested in flying, but uh, I guess being at the right high school at the right time, they had an opportunity where uh, this, it was actually a senior class president that got to like read the announcements in homeroom. And I was like, Oh, well, you know, I'm not a senior. I have to run for class president. There's a lot of factors that play into it. Uh, but my sophomore year of high school, uh, the class president was a little bit of a jokester and said something that he shouldn't have said on the mic, and uh, he got his privileges revoked. So um, I step into the office. I'm like, hey, I heard what happened. I'd like to give it a try. And they're like, yeah, come next day. We'll give you the script. We'll uh, let you get a, a chance at it. So I come the next day, and they're like, here's a script uh, with the bell rings. That's your cue to go. Um, and like the microphone was like in this like uh, separate office next to like the office, but next to like the desk attendants. So it was in an office, um, but kind of like a studio in a sense. And so I closed the door, the bell rang, super nervous. It's my first time on a microphone talking. They can't see me, but I know the whole school is going to hear me. And I was like, oh man, this is really weird to do. And uh, I, I just locked in when the bell rang and I read through it, might have stuttered a couple times, came out of it and opened the door and the two office attendants, the vice principal and principal, 
they're looking at me as I'm coming out the room and they're like, that was your voice. Like, <laughs> I'm the only one in here. So I guess so. And they're like, yeah, that's great. You should, uh, you should keep this to graduation. And, uh, that was the kind of the start of it all. And, um, I then became the voice of my high school. I went to Northtown Academy, so I was the, the voice of Northtown uh, to graduation. And uh, I took it upon myself to do our sports teams. Uh, so I, I was on boys varsity basketball, so I do boys JV, girls uh, girls varsity. And that would keep me busy and kind of help me keep working on my craft. And then my junior year of high school, a referee approached me at halftime and it was like hey man i feel like i'm at a bulls game you got a great voice i could tell you take this seriously uh, i work at uic let me connect you to my bosses who handle that stuff so uh i, I get connected over to uic to who would be my bosses uh for some uh good amount of time and they're like yeah you know come on down uh, when baseball season starts we'll get you situated with a, a, a couple of games and uh, by junior year of high school, I was doing Division One sports, uh, starting off with UIC baseball. And then they're like, yeah, you know, you got a great voice. So uh, we'd like to add you to like the rotation or roster of uh, announcers that we have over here. Uh, so I would end up doing soccer, uh, bat women's basketball. The famous Ray Clay was doing men's basketball. So I got to meet him. Uh, you know, any sport that had a PA announcer to it, I ended up doing. Um, and it made it easy to kind of choose uh, career paths. I was like aviation, broadcasting. The broadcasting's kind of working out a little bit better right now. So let me go that route and just see. It just seemed like an interesting world to dive into. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of focus on this and see, see where it goes. So the aviation dream got cut. Uh, I was a strictly a PA announcer from that point on, um, and uh, I obviously applied to UIC, got in, so now I'm a UIC student. Uh, when I wasn't announcing games, I got into the behind the scenes, and I was helping out with our encore promotions uh, for men's basketball, um, and uh, I've been at UIC for uh, six, uh, six years now, and trials and tribulations of sending, uh, you know, demos and applying for uh, certain pro teams in the city and getting denied and trying to overcome that, you know, disappointment until uh, March 2021 came around. And uh, the PA guy before me, Andrew Bellison, publicly states that he's stepping down um, and I kept my eye out for it. Uh, then the application came out. I applied, went through a uh, interview, came to the ballpark for a live audition, and a little after that, they're like, "Yeah, we want you to be the voice of Wrigley Field." And well, right. let, let, let me talk to you about that really quick here. So, you did somebody kind of tell you, "Hey, this guy, you know, the PA announcer stepping down, Jeremiah," or how did you find out about that? Uh, I'm very active on social media and as a aspiring PA announcer, I like to uh, keep in touch with like all of the pro guys that are easy to access. And Bellison was uh, pretty active on Twitter. So I got to, uh, I followed him on Twitter and I got to meet him a couple of times due to at Cubs games. Uh, and he posted himself on Twitter that he was uh, stepping down and that's how I, uh, I, found, I was I was doing a UIC volleyball game. I was uh, like a ball shagger, so like a ball kid. 
kind of trying to help out, get some extra hours for, it was coming off of COVID. So sports had just resumed. I was trying to make up as much money as possible from the loss of uh, time and missed games. And I was, it was uh, at the end of a set and I'm scrolling through and I'm like, oh, he's, uh, he's stepping down. I totally, totally caught me off guard and I didn't really expect it. uh, But from there, I kept it on my radar. So, so, so all of a sudden you get this call from the Cubs. Hey, we want you to, you know, obviously you probably had to do some videos and send them some samples, all that fun stuff. But now they want you to try out at Wrigley Field and you walk into that press box, right? When you do that, first time you're into the press box, you pick up the microphone and you hear your voice coming out of Wrigley Field. Describe to me what that was like in your head. And and were there any butterflies the first time you had to do that? Definitely. So it was like actually my second time in a press box, but first time in the PA booth. So I toured the ballpark uh, a couple years back as like a birthday gift. So I, I had been in like the space of the box, uh, but it's changed since then. If anyone that's been up here knows that it's been renovated. Uh, looks amazing still. Um, but this uh, live audition was my first time in the PA booth. So I'm stepping in and I'm like, freaking out because it's like it's the view of something that I imagined doing for for years but never really expect expected to get the opportunity to do it and um, I had a little bit of preparation for it uh, because we went through the opening day script as kind of like our rehearsal run through Um, and so just being that that diehard Cubs fan at the same time I kind of knew like how to like manage it but yes of course you're as a lifelong Cubs fan you're like oh my god I'm like I'm really up here like I could see where I used to sit in the bleachers (laughs) other parts of the ballpark and um you know I never never expected to hear my voice coming out of the speakers but here I am about to do it and uh it was very surreal in the moment too because i was it was there was so much pressure of just locking in and kind of just getting through the script and not messing up because this is your one chance to kind of prove to them that hey you know you're capable of of this position and so i know them i know that my voice was coming out of the speakers but because i was just kind of so focused on it it also kind of like came and went and it was it was like maybe like a 20, 30 minute process of the whole live audition, uh, but it felt much more quicker than that. And uh, but I know that it happened and it, I was very like just even if I was like, God, if this is if this is as far as I get, like, I know that, like, I got the opportunity to, like, kind of live it out for these uh, 20 to 30 minutes here. And uh, I was very satisfied with satisfied with that alone. Uh, but yes, the Cubs fan, the diehard Cubs fan, and he was definitely geeking out at that moment as well, too. I'm not going to ask you if you sat in left field or right field. I'm not going to do that to you, but both actually, oh. I don't, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind. I I'm a big, like, so I, when I uh, started sitting in the bleachers, I actually sat like, a, I didn't go to a lot. So you guys probably don't remember me from like being out there, but I did sit like a row or two behind bleacher jet where the wall curves yeah and this is obviously before the renovation so there was no like porch there or anything like that like the whole row went by the fence and so i you knew that was bleacher jeff's row and you can't take his spot so i knew about it at a young age and yeah so i sat there first 
uh, and then they put the boards up. And then I'm I'm a, I'm a sucker for like in-game content, so I moved to right field to see the the left field board. Um, but yeah, I got love to both sides. Nice. So you do when you do your first game ever, it was against the Nationals. Is that right? Yes, May seventeenth, twenty twenty-one, versus the Washington Nationals. And 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 was that just? Do you remember it clearly, or was it just like a blur? Uh, both. Uh, so uh, I remember, I remember that they had actually came, and that's the day that the uh, the announcement went public that I was in the new voice of the ballpark. And so, like, I just remember like waking up, waiting for them to post it, and um, once they finally posted it, uh, just kind of keeping track of like all the love that I was getting from social media and uh, the Cubs fan base kind of welcoming me in. Uh, into this new position and um, it was definitely a lot of just like replying with thank yous and keeping up with like all like friends and family that are are hearing it at that time too and then uh, also like people like hey well we try we got to go to the game now and stuff like that so trying to coordinate that it was also limited capacity at the time so uh, there wasn't like much I could do from that end but you know uh, I know that uh, I was also prepping uh, a little bit more as well too. So uh, taking a, a little bit of like notes, I had prepped like three days before on the national side of uh, their names, but like going through that again, like, okay, what's this person's name? How am I going to say it? How should I say it? I know how I'm going to say it, but is this the right way? Uh, all that stuff that kind of crosses your mind before, like, you, you know, you do a job like that where you're talking into a microphone and kind of delivering something to it. Uh, and then uh, heading to the ballpark, getting to the ballpark, it becoming a little more surreal. Now that like, they're like, here's your credential. And, um, you know, the ballpark's empty. I've never been in the ballpark before the fans and kind of seeing it like empty and quiet, but like the players taking uh, some warm up uh, on the field, and uh, I don't know if they took BP, but they were warming up, and then um, then actually going upstairs and like setting up my laptop and getting all the scripts and knowing that oh, when six oh uh, when six oh five comes, you know that'll be your first live announcement to the ballpark, and it was just like a, a whole bunch of stuff going on. So that's kind of like the blur part, but I did get time to kind of just like relax and like take a deep breath and look out to the ballpark and uh, take it all in at the same time. And uh, definitely everything leading up to the first announcement was nerve wracking because it's like, Oh, it's finally going to happen. The lifelong dream is finally going to happen. And then um, once they told me to go and talk, uh, just locked in, took a deep breath and uh, it went really good. Uh, I didn't, I was nervous, but the nerves went away as soon as I like started talking and, Felt like work again and fun work as always and uh the rest and they won so the rest of the game went perfect and uh no mess ups or anything like that so that was uh that was the best part of it and then of course they got the win uh on that night as well too so that was uh the icing on the cake to the night so with that announcement and with your first game you you can't you, you a couple interesting things pop out of this number one 
you are the first African-American announcer in Cubs history, and they believe that you are the youngest announcer in MLB history. Do you remember? Was it Ed Hardig, or who told you about that? Um, it just kind of, like, came across as, like, just something that was, like, picked up uh, on the announcement. Uh, I don't remember really, like, Ooh, but I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, you're definitely the first African-American to get the position. And then you're also uh, the youngest for sure. Um, and that's kind of just something that are like, hey, that's these are two facts that we have for you on, on your hiring. And uh, obviously that drove a lot of headlines with my announcement as well, too, which is something I, I definitely take pride in, uh, especially as uh, and, and actually especially in both categories, because one being the first African-American to like represent for the minorities in that sense to say that like these things are uh, achievable. And then also for, you know, all the young people that, you know, aspire to, to achieve great things, but sometimes get discouraged along the way because of age. And definitely in my process, I felt like I got overlooked because of age, because even younger applying at like 18, 19, they're like, oh, this kid's in college still, or this kid's fresh out of high school. What are, you gonna, what are we going to do? Try to hire him for a big boy position. So uh, thank, I, I thank the Cubs to this day for taking a chance on the 21-year-old. Uh, and, you know, there's always that little pressure to kind of uh, keep the expectations high and deliver in, in those moments as well, too. And not, not long after that, the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown came calling. Tell me about that. Yeah, no, that's that's even more surreal too because it's like, oh yeah, you're just casually like a piece of you is casually in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I got that came a little a little more into the season, so I had uh, a few games under my belt already at this point, and uh, I just kind of casually came to work one day and they're like, hey, by the way, at the uh, end of the season, we're taking this mic and this one's going to the, to the Hall of Fame. And I'm like, you said what? The Hall <laughs> of Fame? And they're like, yeah, the National Baseball Hall of Fame. You're, it's going to be on display in the museum and people that, you know, come in to check it out, they'll see and see your mic and read a little bit of your history and you'll be in there. And I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> Yeah, like I was like speechless at the same time, but like I didn't know like how to react because it just came across so casually like, hey, this is going to happen. Um, yeah. So they, they take it and then you went out to Cooperstown to see it. How, how surreal was that? Yes, that was surreal in person as well, too, because like now you're actually seeing it, but you're seeing it in a place surrounded by a lot of greatness at the same time, too. So. Um, just like walking in and, you know, you have Ruth or Hank Aaron or, uh, Joe DeMaz, big names, big names throughout the course of history of baseball. And then here's Jeremiah Paprocki and like, I'm, I'm not even like a pro baseball player or anything like that. I'm just simply the, the voice of the ballpark. And based off these achievements that I got in my position, I've been able to like become surrounded with all these great baseball players and people in baseball and now I'm like forever a part of like baseball history in a sense too so like definitely like 
very emotional at the same time, especially like walking in and seeing it and like, Hey, there's that Mike <laughs> that uh, I talked to and uh, talked into and knowing that like all the hard work kind of like paid off and that's evident of, you know, all the hard work that went into it. And it was definitely very, very special day to visit the, the museum. And I thank them for that opportunity as well, too. Now, 2022 was an interesting year for you. Who came up to you and said, hey, you know what would be fun? Let's get Jeremiah to go on some road trips. Let's take him on the road. How did that all come about? Yes, uh, I, have to, uh, I have to shout out a couple people on that one. So one, my mom, because like I said earlier, she loves to travel. And so uh, we take a lot of trips throughout the year. And uh, shout out to my boss, Matt Romito, who's... Uh, the director of game presentation, but also is uh, executive producer of Cubs Productions. And I know, like, it, I, I believe it came uh, at a certain point last, uh, before my, during my first season, where they had seen me go out of town again. And they're like, you're out of town again? <laughs> they're like, oh, man, you travel a lot. Um, and they kind of took that and they're like, hey, we could probably do something with that, like travel-based. And you know, they're open to like throw some uh, ideas at me to kind of help me expand from just the PA role, but kind of get into something else as well, too. And uh, I always express that to them as well, that I'm, I'm not just a PA guy. I can try different things out as well, too. And I'm always open for new ideas. So uh, they worked hard on uh, figuring out a, a travel series and uh uh, thanks to National Car Rental, they were like, hey, hey, let's uh, send them on the road with, uh, with a car and uh, highlight some uh, big uh, Cubs road trips, uh, cities that a lot of Cubs fans can uh, travel to on the road and point out things that they should do before the Cubs game and kind of highlight, you know, the travel series like that. And so that was really fun. Uh, and uh, I was able to go to Milwaukee, St. Louis, uh, White Sox, and Field of Dreams. And Field of Dreams is obviously the, the coolest uh, of that group because it was, uh, you know, it was the special game out of all of them. And uh, it was also cool to get that opportunity to just be at Field of Dreams. Uh, but, of course, going revisiting these uh, ballparks that I've been to, uh, I've been to all MLB ballparks, so wow. getting, getting the chance to revisit them and kind of take it all in again is really cool. Some ballparks have gotten some additions to them or, or they've added around, so it's cool to see new things in that area as well that I didn't see on my last trip, uh, but in a working capacity this time, so that was really cool as well and uh, fun, very fun. Well, Stuart McVicker from Club 400 and myself, we went to the Field of Dreams. We bumped into you there. Yes. But but on that On the Road series, and I think you find that on the Cubs YouTube channel is where you can find that. That is correct. You actually get to have a catch with Ryan Sandberg. I mean, I mean, just come on. Like, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm not going to say by how much. But, you know, Rhino was my guy. Like, growing up as a kid, that was who I watched from the bleachers was Ryan Sandberg. That, I mean, that just – I mean, like someone had to have suggested that and you'd be like, all right, <laughs> no problem. Sure. Let's do that. I, I was, uh, I was uh, a little nervous as well too. Uh, I mean, growing up Cubs was in obviously in my family. So hearing stories about, you know, like Rhino and, and Santo and, and those guys 
so I was obviously very familiar with like Cubs history before I was born and all that stuff. And so uh, definitely knew how big of a, a player uh, Sandberg is to, to Cubs baseball. And when they're like, uh, when they're telling me the itinerary for the day, uh, they're like, uh, and at this point, uh, we'll have you play catch with uh, Ryan Sandberg. And I'm like, oh, Ryan, like, the Ryan Sandberg, like, the, the former Cubs, Cubs Hall of Fame. Like, they're like, yeah, that guy. You're like, oh, this is cool. And, like, even, like, trying to shoot that piece as well, too, or, like, I'm, like, playing catch with him and throwing the ball. We're just having a conversation. And I'm like, this is really happening. I'm like, I'm playing catch with, with Sandberg here. And this is not a dream, even though it's the field is dreams. And, and it was just, it was definitely very, very cool. And uh, it's cool. Cool that I get to say I got to play catch with a Cubs Hall of Famer too. Unbelievable. The one thing that's fun for me to watch is that, you know, my friend uh, John and uh, Johnny B and Josh, they get to share that area with you where you get, where you do your announcing. How much fun is it to be in there with John and Josh and how, how many laughs do you guys have? And, and, and those guys are just so unbelievably talented. I mean, it just gotta be a fun time up in there. Definitely. Uh, that's the, that's another perk of my office is uh, I also get to share it with the organists and, uh, especially like pregame when we're not too busy, or I would say like the pregame to pregame when like there's no one in the ballpark and we're coming in and setting up. Uh, we definitely get to uh, talk and, you know, catch up uh, from the last homestand or even if it's the next day, just kind of talk about whatever is going on. And then there's a little time where like I'm setting up my scripts and they're prepping for what they're going to play for the game and I'm hearing them just kind of like work on things and they're playing up songs and listening to it by ear and trying to play it without like any sheet notes or anything. They're just like, ah, this is what it sounds like. And then they're going at it on the keys and, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, talent right there. That's talent. It, uh, it's, it's sick, man. It's absolutely ridiculous. So I got to ask, you're in the press box and a lot of people, famous people go back and forth. Is there a famous celebrity you've gotten to meet where you're just like, Oh my God, like, like overwhelmed, almost speechless. Yeah. So that would come during my first season, uh, the, the reopening day, uh, when the ballpark opened back up to a hundred percent capacity, uh, a familiar celebrity by the name of Bill Murray, was asked to uh, sing the seventh inning stretch. And I'm I'm like, is he going to come in and practice? Am I going to get a chance to, like, meet him? But then I'm like, he's done it thousands of times already. He's probably just going to go do it and then, like, leave. He's probably not going to want to come in here. So he sings it. And then, like, a little bit afterwards, probably bottom seven, maybe going into the top of the eighth, the door opens and he uh, he comes in. I'm like, oh, man, here he comes. He's coming in. <laughs> and uh, usually when they like if they're on their way out, they like, you know, are like thanks to the organist or something like that, because obviously they're working together on the stretch. Um, but no, he comes in. He's like, oh, I hear we got a new voice uh, in town. And I'm like, uh, he's talking to me. Uh, <laughs> it's Bill Murray, and we're having, like, this whole conversation. And he's like, yeah, nice to meet you. Um, uh, you know, just kind of 
casual conversation from there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm talking to Bill Murray. And it's like, it's Bill Murray, like one of the biggest stars out there. And um, that was definitely the, the biggest guest conductor that, that's come in that, like, I've gotten a chance to, like, even just talk to him. And uh, he was nice enough to, like, take a picture with me and all that stuff. So Bill Murray oh, yeah. definitely – We've had some good ones come in too, but Bill Murray, of course, is top tier. Now, as an announcer, as a PA announcer, do you have a favorite Cubs game? One that in 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 during your time there that you just locked in, you're like that game was just amazing. Uh, I I feel like there's been a a good amount of those, but I think the one that I always go to is just the first one that I ever did because of just how special of a moment it was. Um, and I don't really think anything in the game besides the Cubs winning was like very highlightable, but like just to be able to like, you know, go through a whole Cubs game for the first time with hearing your voice coming out the speakers and it, especially like once the game started, it becomes more relaxed because there's not much to say. So when you're announcing the batter, you have a little more time to register, like your voice coming out and into the ballpark and taking all that in. And of course, my family and a lot of close friends and uh, the UIC co-workers that picked me up for the first time were there and kind of them seeing me grow into my career. And uh, of course, the Cubs winning at the end, that was definitely like my favorite uh just because it was such a perfect day uh opening day this past season uh a second because of just what goes into like opening day and how special that is when you know it's that it's like a holiday you know opening day is a holiday you come and you you seek so much throughout the uh off season and then that day finally comes and just the presentation to announce the entire roster and uh Morell's uh Morell's first game where he hit his home run in his first at bat. I know that was very electric. Uh and I think that was one of the very first times I felt the press box like shake in a way <laughs> because of how electric that home run was and because it was his first and uh just a special moment all around. So uh that was those would be my top three if I were to say. Yeah, and and so I I am a geek about CubsCon. I love CubsCon more than anything. I've been to over 20. My question, have you ever been to CubsCon? And if not, how much are you looking forward to it? Surprisingly, I've never been to one. Um, That was usually kind of justified as, hey, you know, we'll just go to a couple couple games throughout the season. That's how you'll catch the Cubs that way. Uh, but it always seems fascinating, this, like, idea of spending, like, a weekend in the same space as your favorite Cubs players. Uh, that always seemed like a cool concept growing up. And, it, of course, it's something you were like, oh, I, I definitely want to, like, be a part of it one day. And now, fortunately for me, being uh, an employee and, you know, this upcoming uh, – convention will be like my first time to ever experience it i'm definitely looking forward to like seeing what just the uh the weekend entails for something like that so i'm very excited 
I, I cannot wait to talk to you about it once it's all said and done. So I am going through withdrawals because Jeremiah, I don't care about anything other than Cubs baseball. <laughs> so before we leave, I want to a thank you for your time. B wish you continued success. I know we'll have you back on the podcast again, but for all the podcast listeners out there and, and, and just to, to suffice me until at least Cubs convention, can I get a good afternoon and welcome? Yes, I got you. We're setting the scene. It's a perfect, beautiful day at Wrigley Field. You're out in the bleachers. It's 88 degrees, clear sky, sunny, sun's beaming down. It's time to introduce everyone to beautiful, historic Wrigley Field. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to baseball at beautiful Wrigley Field. Absolutely. Inject that into my veins, Jeremiah. <laughs> I, I absolutely appreciate you coming on. It's been a blast talking to you, and I'd love to have you back on in the future. Thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you next time. Take care, Jeremiah. Have a good one. Bye. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. Hope you enjoyed our interview with Jeremiah here on the Fly the W670 podcast. We are now going to continue to talk about voices of baseball. Right, Crowley with Ford Frick Award is going to come out. The announcement is going to come soon. And there are down to 10 finalists. We've got a finalist on the south side and the north side of Chicago. Yeah, um, during the winter meeting. So we're going to find out. They're going to make an announcement on December 7th, okay? So uh, roughly a, a little bit over a week away, they're going to make the announcement on the Ford Frick Award. And so there are 10 finalists, and the Ford Frick Award, if you're not, is, is excellent in baseball broadcasting, okay? And that will get you your in Cooperstown, in the Nation, National Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, it used to be that the Frick Award rotated annually between a current major league market that's a team-specific announcer, um, the national voices, broadcasters whose contributions were realized on a national level, and then broadcaster beginnings, early team voices and pioneers of baseball broadcasting. So this takes us back to 2020, okay? And I am still very much angry about it. If you heard our last episode of the Fly the W podcast in 2020 – it was, it was the current major league markets that was team specific. And, the, and there was two Chicago announcers that were up in 2020. It was Pat Hughes and uh, the old guy from the South side, right? The, the Hawkeroo, whatever. And, and, and all of a sudden I was, I was so hundred percent sure Pat Hughes had, it. I mean, he is an absolute hall of famer. We know this, but Hawk Harrelson got it over Pat Hughes in 2020 which absolutely infuriated me. And it still does to this day. I don't care what you say. There is no way that Hawk Harrelson gets in before Pat Hughes. None. I don't care how old he is. I don't care if he's, if he's dying. I don't care what. There is no way you tell me. There's no way that you tell me that, that, that Hawk Harrelson deserved to go into the Broadcaster Hall of Fame before Pat Hughes. Now, if you want to tell me he's a great character, da-da-da, for the game – I guess, you know, but so was Ron Santo. But Ron Santo wasn't a good broadcaster either. Neither was Hawk Harrelson. They were both characters. They were both funny, and they were both beloved by their fan bases. But if you're talking about funny, talented, brilliant at calling a game, you're talking about Pat Hughes, and it was a joke. 
No. If those are the criteria, if that's the criteria that you just laid out, Crowley, then there is no doubt it is Pat Hughes. Now, I am no White Sox fan, but I do find, or I found, Hawk Harrelson entertaining. I found him good for baseball, and I found him good for what I do on a daily basis at the score. He was good radio. Okay, He made comments that made people laugh, cringe, cry, but react. Okay, but react. Maybe, just maybe, it was because he was on his way out. And I think his lobbyist was probably who? Jerry Reinsdorf. Very powerful man in baseball. Very powerful guy. I think he helped push that through. He also pushed Harold Baines into the Hall of Fame. So, just like I said, frustrating as all heck, but now... There's been a new um, Ford for collection cycle where they're going to change things up a little bit. So there's going to be four years with a composite ballot of local and national voices whose broadcast uh, careers have extended into or following the advent of the wild card in 94. And then every fifth year, um, you, you have a ballot of broadcasting careers that concluded prior to the wild card era. So, I, can I just interrupt you? I'm sorry. Yeah. Can I? I mean, the, the, this the, all of this number. I'm glad you got all this down and, and before the wild card and after the wild card and before the juice ball and after chicks dig the long ball and after the steroid era and after you could put Vaseline. You know, if you're a Hall of Fame broadcaster, you're a Hall of Fame broadcaster, and I don't need you every. But every year they should elect someone if there is someone deserving in the local, national. What you did in the stop it. Right? right, just stop it. Every year, every year, it should be up for a vote. And if somebody is eligible, then fine. I guess the only question would be: Should the broadcaster have to be retired in order to be able to go into the Hall of Fame? And I would say you're going to say no. And I might have to think about that for a second. No, I mean, again, Harry Carey would have never gotten into the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? And that that, that would have been a shame. Um, well, no, but it would have been after after he was done. I, he wouldn't have realized he had gotten into the Hall of Fame, but he would have gotten into the Hall of Fame, right? Right, I get that. But, but you know, part of the joy is be able to enjoy that moment with your family. I went... That, that's okay. I, you're right. I mean, I yes, but I just... I guess maybe there should be a minimum service. Maybe if I wanted to put some number on it, you had to be X number of years with a certain team or a national guy. But this whole like even odd year and wild card, and then after the wild card, and then play in game, and then you know, I mean, it, it, that all it just seems ridiculous and silly to me. All these so, little so what you're numbers. So what you're describing is is the way that it used to be. And so what I was talking about now is that now it can be pretty much anybody except for the fifth year. They try to find somebody that's kind of older to kind of make sure that those people aren't forgotten. Aren't forgotten and that, that, that's right. fine I, i'm okay with that fine you know i don't want anybody that should have gotten this and was overlooked to not get it even though those people are probably to your point earlier are probably no longer with us but listen i, I mean he, here's the thing if we look at this we've got 10 10 finalists in front of us and, uh, that we're looking at okay a couple of the guys that just for me personally i don't want to speak for you but just for me gary cohen is on this list he's a hall of famer tom hamilton he is the voice of the uh um the Guardians in Cleveland, if you're unaware, Hall of Famer. Pat Hughes, Hall of Famer. Ernie Johnson Sr., Dwayne Kuyper, Steve Stone, Hall of Famer. Dwayne Kuyper? Eh, you know, he was around the Cubs. Then where else has he been? Oakland for a while, right? Dwayne Kuyper down right. in Houston, maybe. But again, you know, Hall of Famers. Joe Castiglione, Hall of Famer. I mean, 
at least half of these guys at some point better get into the Hall of Fame. Right? You mean Steve Stone and Pat Hughes are both Hall of Fame broadcasters. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And I okay. think that that's why they changed it because they did that stupid three-year cycle. So when Pat Hughes didn't get it and um, Hawk Harrelson got in in 2020, he wasn't eligible again until 2020, uh, 2023, which is this year. But that's that's now so gone if Pat, away. So if Pat Hughes gets in this year, you know, you know, if they're only going to put one in, you know who I think is going to get in? If I had a bet, if it, is this something I can go on DraftKings and bet on? I, I think know, Joe. I, I think Joe Castiglione's going to get in. That's who I predict from this list is getting in. Joe Castiglione. That doesn't mean that Pat Hughes isn't, but I think I think Joe Castiglione's the one who's going to get in. Right, and and so you, you see, but at least the good thing is, let's say you're right, and it's not Pat Hughes, then he doesn't have to wait another three years again. You get what I'm saying right. now? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and, and so that he, I that I agree got. with. I think that's a wonderful alteration to all of this. So that that's a good thing. But this whole idea of the the wild card era and the post wild card era and the local and the national and the pregame. I mean, are they going to have a pregame? You know, is Zach Zaidman and and, and uh, is he going to be a potential if he never has a full time job at this? Is Zach Zaidman doing the fifth inning, the pre and the post. Is that going to be an award someday? The pre and the post and the guy who gave these other Hall of Famers a break, he gets in the Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, saying, where do you draw the line? It's a little ridiculous. All I know is that Mark Grody should get some recognition because he used to have to deal with me during rain delays and on the way home calling into the post game on the score. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, you could be a, and you could be a Hall of Fame caller into pre and post games crawling. I would love that. And another thing <laughs> that, that I do love, Dustin, and I told our listeners I would report back is that I did go to Wrigley Field for the Winterland at Gallagher Way. And uh, I wanted to kind of just share a little bit about that with our listeners. Absolutely. Um, I want to hear about this. It was a lot of fun for me to be able to go down there. Like I said, anytime I have the ability to walk onto the hallowed grounds of Wrigley Field, I'm going to take that opportunity. Um, the thing I would recommend for this is, is because I'm a season ticket holder, it was a season ticket holder event. So they had people coming in starting at 10 and then they had different ships. And so I came at uh, like one, I think our shift was 1.30 to 3. So we got an hour and a half before they opened it up to the public at 3 o'clock. My recommendation is that you buy tickets online before you head down there. Don't buy them at the gate because lines are long. Okay. So if you um, buy ahead, you get like a block like you did. Right. Well, you, you, you buy, you don't, you get, no, you get to be there even longer. I don't think you have to leave at all. Um, where we had to leave because we technically didn't pay for anything. We got to do everything for free. Gotcha. And so get it beforehand. And then it goes to your uh, MLB mobile app, your mobile ticket app. So that's something that I would recommend uh, a lot. Um, if you have younger kids, I think going down, I mean, it's really cool to go down at nighttime because of what they do with the lights. It just looks phenomenal. Um, but the daytime is a lot of fun, too. If you get some good weather, you take the kids. Um, Santa Claus is outside. You can bring your pets even to see Santa. But no <laughs> pets are allowed inside Wrigley Field. They have the Chris Kindle market all the way around, which it, it seemed to me was bigger this year. Uh, a lot more vendors. and then That's they, in the Gallagher Way section, Crawley? That's in the Gallagher Way, and that's free. Okay. So that's free. Now, to go on any of the rides, like the carousel, which is in Gallagher Way, that costs money. Like, I think they're like $5 tickets, right? And then once you go inside Wrigley, it costs $5 to get a ticket to go inside of Wrigley. And then there's tickets that you have to buy to do all the different little events, right? So you have to rent ice skates. You have to, uh, you know, get tickets to go down. They have an ice tube where you go on a tube and you go down this little ice there. 
they had tilt the world and teacup rides i think like for the rides i think honestly it really is more like six to ten year olds five to ten year olds i would say would probably be Come on, you did the teacups. Just admit it, Crawley. I, I did not do the teacups. <laughs> you know, the, the lines were long. We did a lot of ice skating, and, and I took a lot of pictures. Um, they also have the ice on the bumper cars on the ice. Oh, cool. And that was super popular, but I would honestly say it really didn't look that fun. Okay. They were just kind Isn't of. Isn't that something they did in the past? It wasn't that. Didn't, was that out at Gallagher Way? I want to say they had that, but this is the first year it's inside Wrigley Field. Correct. They had the bumper cars before, but they just, I mean, like, honestly, you think bumper cars and you're thinking like how, how it would be in a fair and you're just flying around. Right. It didn't seem to me like either a, the people didn't know how to figure out how to use them or B that they okay. moved really quick. All if you're right. telling me I gotta wait 45 minutes for that, eh, I don't know if it would be really worth it. I wouldn't recommend okay. it to our listeners. All right. Now, if you got some adult friends, I think it would be really cool. You can rent a chalet. I think it's like $60 a person or whatever. But you kind of get like, you get to kind of like, it, it's really cool. You like kind of like got a view outside of everything and you get like, I think like hot cocoa service and stuff like that. It, it seemed like something that would be cool to do, but you know, if you got the cash to spend and they have like a couple of carnival games, like, you know, shoot the basketball, pop a shot. And they got the, um, trying to hit the milk jugs off the, you know, from a distance with a, with a baseball and, and a couple other like ring tosses and stuff like that. But, but it was really, it's something fun, something memorable to do. They have a lot of great places you could take pictures. Uh, we went to Smoke Daddy's afterwards, but there's tons of places to eat around there that you can get some pretty good food. So um, I would recommend going if you haven't had the opportunity, if you've never been out there. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I think that it's even just to say you did it once. Like I've, I've been going down to Gallagher Way since they opened that up, the Winterland. Um, and, and now that it was at Wrigley, it was a lot of fun. But I was just, you know, I was thinking about my nephew and niece. My nephew's six and my niece is three. They would have been going crazy. Now, I went with two teenagers and they, they're like, no, nah, we don't want to do this or this. They, like, they spent like an hour and a half ice skating. They had a blast ice skating. You know what I mean? But I think if you got like three, four, five, six-year-olds, that, that's awesome. And then they also have like the little like things that you can kind of rent where like little penguins or something to keep you up if you're not that good of a skater. Gotcha. Sounds like fun. I definitely want to hit that before the uh, new year. Is that is it going to go through New Year, Crowley? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, they're okay. going to have that going through at, at least. I think they usually kind of close down around February. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, we will be back uh, any day now. There is going to be breaking Cubs news. If not now, by next uh, Monday, we will definitely have some news to report. But we'll be back at least one more time between now and then. That's a wrap. Season 1, Episode 52. The Cubs' winter of discontent is in the books. Hopefully it is not true to its billing, Crowley. We don't want a winter of discontent. Hope you have a great start and the rest of your week until we get back together. And don't forget to listen, download, review, share, and subscribe the podcast and follow our socials, Fly the W670 on Instagram and Twitter, Fly the W on Facebook. And you can email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. It's all over. 